Welcome to Fresh Take, your favorite weekly podcast that delivers a healthy dose of information pertaining to healthy lifestyles, organic and sustainable agriculture, and numerous topics related to the environment. Thanks for tuning in. Our industry experts are here to provide you with a fresh take on topics that can help you optimize your lifestyle and well-being. Hello, everyone. This is Ram, your host today for Fresh Take Podcast. With me today, we have Ryan Smart, Executive Director of Florida Spring Council. Ryan, I want you to welcome back. Thanks, Ram. Happy to be here again. Yeah. In today's podcast, we will be discussing environmental issues should not be a political football. Needless to say, Florida is the number two in agriculture. Florida's economy is largely dependent on tourism. We have been seeing a lot of cases like the pollution of, of our springs, and Ryan spoke about it in the last podcast from Fresh Day. We have seen the, the Red Sea Tide, the dead dolphins, and other aquatic animals, and the stench that comes out of the, of the ocean because of the red tides. There's a lot of other environmental issues. However, we, we sometimes we see a lot of back and forth between politicians, depending on who is in power. But should environmental issue be really political? I don't think that should be the case here. So today we're going to talk about that. Uh, there is a lot of environmental issues that's going on that can affect Florida agriculture, that can affect our water quality, that can affect our air quality that we live in. For example, right now there is a breach in, in one of the one of the tanks that reserves from the some of the hazardous materials that has been stored in the tank in Tampa that is about to be leaking or already leaking and could could the Tampa Bay, and that this could affect quite a bit of aquatic animals and agriculture in that area. So in today's topic, we're going to talk about it. Ryan, uh, if you wanted to chime in and talk a little bit more. Go ahead. Thanks, John. Well, I definitely agree that the environment should not be a political issue. For a, a long time in Florida, um, you know, really going back pre-2010, the environment wasn't as much a political issue. It had strong support for protecting the Everglades, protecting springs, conserving natural lands, conserving rivers and beaches, taking on polluters from both political parties. But we've, we've really seen that change a lot over the past 10 to 20 years. And now there's much less support, I would say, from both parties for taking real meaningful action to protect Florida's environment. Yeah, I would agree with that because I remember previous governor of the state, Governor Rick Scott, who served two terms in 2011 and 2019, kind of almost banned the term climate change and stifled the climate science totally. But however, there was a ray of hope when Governor DeSantis became the, the governor of the state because you know he signed in the first law, SB 178, which Florida's first climate tangible legislation. Uh, that law prohibits the spending of tax dollars on projects in coastal zones that have not taken raising sea levels into account. You know, when, uh, about five, seven years ago, when I was in Miami area, as well as in Boynton um, uh, Beach area, the beach used to be a lot more bigger than what it used to be. You can see the increase in the levels from what, what it used to be there. So, and then Governor DeSantis also did, uh, you know, as soon as he took in charge, he made the Southwest Water Management District to resign. And I had a ray of hope that this governor is going to be more eco-friendly. But uh, it, a lot remains to be seen what, what meaningful actions are going to be taken or not. Right. So, you know, going back to um, Governor Scott, a uh, now Senator Scott, uh, a lot's been made of his 
banning of the use of the word climate change and sea level rise. But the real effects that he had on Florida's environment are much, much worse than just banning a word. Governor Scott really did a lot to reduce the effectiveness and power of Florida's water management districts, which determine how much water companies and agriculture, anyone really that applies for a permit gets for water and also has an important part in Everglades restoration and many other facets of uh, environmental protection. Governor Scott crippled their budgets and led to the loss of almost half of their staff. Um, We have not seen that recover under Governor DeSantis. So those once really effective, powerful state agencies um, have been neutered and made, you know, really a puppet of the polluting industries. Governor Scott also got rid of state growth management in Florida. Uh, We used to have something called the Department of Community Affairs, and that would review when local governments wanted to change how they developed or prepare for major development plans. The Department of Community Affairs would review those, and one of their main goals was to protect environmental resources and make sure that as we developed, we continue to protect our water, we continue to protect agriculture, we continue to protect our forests and natural lands. Governor Scott completely got rid of that agency, along with the legislature, and replaced it with the Department of Economic Opportunity, who, as their name suggests, their main goal is to foster and facilitate growth. So we've really had the complete loss of of state planning. Um, I could go on and on. Um, We had Florida Forever funding, which was very important. That's how we conserve lands in Florida. That program was originally started under Republican Governor Bob Martinez in the 1980s. And for years and years and years, we would spend about $300 million a year buying natural lands that protect our water resources, protect animals, protect all of Florida's environment. And under Governor Scott, that funding was zeroed out for most of his tenure um, and still hasn't recovered, despite Floridians passing an amendment uh, trying to increase that funding. So, you know, Governor Scott's legacy goes well, well beyond just banning a word. And while Governor DeSantis has said some good things, you know, he's really continued Governor Scott's uh, legacy. We've seen, you know, massive toll roads that have been approved uh, by Governor DeSantis through rural areas that have uh, important agricultural resources, springs, coastal areas. You know, while there was a chief resiliency officer appointed, he resigned shortly after being appointed and that position has not been replaced. Oh, yeah, I remember that. That was the SB 514 and HP 315 bill. That would establish a statewide sea level rise tasking force chaired by the chief resiliency officer. Oh, now it makes sense. Okay, right. And we, but we don't have a chief resiliency officer. Um, Secretary, the Department of Environmental Protection Secretary Noah Valenstein, um, he is acting as the chief resiliency officer. But we have, we don't have a real chief resiliency officer dedicated to that task uh, since the first one resigned. You know, that brings me the question. So many issues are important to Florida. First of all, agriculture, the quality of the life we live. And yet, what is, what do you think? I'm just thinking it loud here. What is the main reasons? Why is the public perception has not changed? This is very important for all of us. It's not just for individual quality of life, but it's also for our agriculture, our state's economy. But in, in your opinion, why the public or the public needs to be educated more or what are some of you? What are some of your thoughts on current public's perception on these policies, and why we don't hear a lot about this in the news? Well, whenever people have the opportunity to support environmental protection, they they come out in droves to do so. 
Protecting Florida's environment is incredibly popular with people. Whether you're talking about Amendment 1 in 2014 that got about 75% of the vote, whether you're talking about all the land conservation ordinances like those in Collier County and in other places that have to go before voters that are approved overwhelmingly, or if you look at um, Orange County, which uh, in the last election had a rights of nature amendment on the ballot that got over 80% of the vote. Um, so when people actually have the ability to vote on whether or not they want to protect the environment, whether or not they want to spend their tax dollars to protect the environment, they can. Um, the problem is that message gets lost in Tallahassee. And up there, the will of the people is not being done by our elected officials. They are much more likely to respond to big industry uh, and the lobbyists for the very largest of the landowners and agricultural producers. Because of that, you know, the environment really gets left behind as, it, as the legislature serves the regulated industries. And our state agencies like the Department of Environmental Protection and the Water Management Districts you know, are no longer really in the regulatory game. They're much more customer service agencies there to, to help polluters and help water users than they are to enforce the rules and protect our environment. And I think when you see what it just happened over the last few weeks at Piney Point, which is an absolute disaster, you know, you can see that this was not a mystery. The Florida Department of Water Protection was well aware of the problems at Piney Point. It was only uh, four or five years ago that we had the massive sinkhole that opened up at the Mosaic uh, phosphate waste storage area. Um, we had the same secretary of the Department of Water Protection then that we have now. This, isn't, this is a reoccurring problem that really demonstrates that our state agencies are failing to protect not only our environment, but human health. I mean, these are, you know, this are, we get our water from the aquifer and obviously people are reliant on Tampa Bay and yep. the amount of uh, polluted water that went into those uh, in both those instances has a major effect and all, you know, lip service is great. And the governor and, and, and secretary Valenstein, and they, they can, you know, they can say whatever they want, but, but in reality, we're not seeing anything improve when it comes to Florida's environment outside of maybe some, some limited uh, improvements in the Everglades. But when it comes to regulatory action, uh, we, we really are failing our environment and the people of Florida. Yeah, I was reading an article on Florida agriculture the other day. And someone I was looking at, what are the issues that really affects the public? What do the Floridians care for? So, and then and I can see that, you know, that data basically represents people care for what they smell, what they can see, like water, soil, you know, ocean, beach pollutions are definitely on the top. Definitely most Floridians do care about global warming and climate change. Mostly because it does affect them. The raising sea level is also is a big threat to the Florida coast uh, in the long run. And, and like you said, Ryan, is there seems to be on one hand, when we go to the ballot, when there is a specific environmental measures, when there is something that affects our agriculture, Florida seems to speak loud and clear they want to protect it using taxpayer dollars. On the other hand, what we are seeing is a huge disconnect between what the voters' will is, what the voters want with, with the regulatory framework or the executive branch of the state of Florida, which is supposed to execute the will of the people. The, I think some, some of the reasons I think is probably is because of the influence, like you said, Ryan, is because of lobbyists and their, their influence and their being, being, being protective of their own industry. But sometimes I start to feel like, man, really wish, you know, Theodore Roosevelt, who is known for creating national parks and all those things, is a Republican. So why can't... Or can we not elect the leaders who are statesmen, 
who are actually like Theodore Roosevelt, uh, our President Roosevelt, uh, came in and, and, and protect our, what they're supposed to be doing the right, because these things, if you don't protect properly, that's not just the economy that's going to be affected. We are working towards, yes, if you allow pollution to happen, it may be a short-term gain in Florida's economy may be good, but down the stream, you are just poisoning the land. Down the stream, you're poisoning the workers. Down the stream, you are affecting the health and well-being of Floridians. The very Floridians who actually contribute to the economy, local economy, a lot. So, yeah, it's very, just, just very disheartening to see when things don't, and people's will has been communicated, it's not been executed. For one thing I can always start is, I lived in Europe for a long period of time. I was always fascinated with the public transportation systems. So I remember in 2000, I believe, there was a, the waters amended to have the, the triangle connecting Tampa, Jacksonville, and Orlando, and probably Miami with their metro rail systems um, that can actually connect and reduce the carbon footprint. Boy, I think it's, it's, uh, it's if I'm not mistaken, it's Governor Scott, who vetoed it, I think, somehow, and they never got off stop nowhere. And then I remember President Obama offering matching funds or even more funds to build this mass transport systems from the federal funds to make that as a reality to reduce your carbon, carbon footprints. So regardless, so this, that did not happen. So when you read this, is it becomes an organization like Florida Organic Growers that I represent and your organization like Florida Spring Council. You know, we do a lot of activity. So in order to overcome some of this divide and bridge, we do a lot of activities. For example, would be a WIC program. In the WIC program, you cannot buy organic foods. One of the challenges we have before, before I explain that, one of the challenges Florida has is in spite of we have about 47,000 farms approximately in the state of different sizes, and we don't have a lot of organic farms. And Fox's goal is to expand the organic farms because we strongly believe organic farms is critical or one of the important pieces of the puzzle in reducing the fertilizer load that we dump into our lakes, our aquifers. And so there are natural other ways to manage fertility in the soil. So Fog is big supporter and actively advocating organic. But in order to buy maybe able to organic affordable, we don't want something to come from Mexico. We don't want something comes from Brazil into, our, into Florida economy. We don't want something to come from California. So in, in, in making more farmers growing here that will reduce the environmental impact is what something fog has been going on. And one thing we are doing to achieve that is, is connecting the consumers. Because the more people are educated, the more consumers are educated about the benefits of organic, there is going to be a demand and we are hoping that demand will translate to more acreage. That's one part on top of advocacy work that we do to increase. So one of the advocacy work is about WIC programs having organic. In the past, in the state of Florida, uh, SNAP benefits, you know, so they can, you can buy a Coke, but you can buy, a, if you're a pregnant woman, you can buy a Coke, but you can buy, organic is not included in the, in the list of things. So FOG is working on that. We are also actively working on other policy work that actually supports organic agriculture. For example, when you're, in, when you're converting from organic to, from conventional to organic, you have to wait for three years during this transition time. So those farmer has to use organic inputs. And then on top of it, they cannot sell those products for three years during the transition time. It has a huge impact. So we are also working on how such, can there be a label for transition? Can this be helping our growers in the state so more and more acreage uh, can be coming under, under organic? Of course, this is all done in a way. We're doing this because we believe a lot of these environmental impacts we are talking about, a lot of the pollutants that affects our air quality that we are talking about will be reduced because of organic agriculture practices. 
Absolutely. I think, um, you know, improving our agricultural practices is probably the most important thing we can do when you're talking about water quality. Recently, the Florida Department of Environmental Protection did basin management action plans, which are essentially a way of restoring their plans to restore water quality. And they did these for 24 outstanding Florida Springs. So these are the springs a lot of your listeners have probably heard of. Silver Springs, Rainbow Spring, Itchitucknee Spring, Blue Spring, Wakaiva Spring. And what they found was that across the state, 70% of the nitrogen pollution, which is the major uh, pollution concern when it comes to our waters, is coming from agriculture. That's twice as much as septic tank, uh, wastewater treatment facilities, and urban fertilizer combined. So there really is no way to address our current water quality crisis without addressing how we farm. And we're going to have to uh, live with the fact that it may, food you know, may be slightly more expensive and we need to be spending state resources to help farmers transition from their current practices, which are you know, really killing our waters, to uh, the kind of practices that you're talking about, um, particularly the fertilizer. You know, uh, right now, most farmers can basically apply as much fertilizer as they need to to maximize their crop yield. There's no way to reach water quality goals while those practices continue. And, you know, we need, to, we need to find a way to keep agriculture viable because agriculture is incredibly important to our state, both economically, but also, I mean, if you don't have agriculture, you have, you have homes and strip malls. Um, and I would much rather see things kept in, you know, ranches and in uh, fields than I would in homes and uh, strip malls. But it, we can't be selling our water resources you know, short trying to maintain that. So we have to find a credible balance between the economic viability of agriculture and also realizing that right now agriculture on a state level is having a, a terrible effect on our environment. Um, and we have to, again, we have to really help agriculture move to the next level and that's gonna take considerable dollars. And right now the state is not willing to put that money into improving agriculture you know, we're spending it on other things that are not nearly as, as effective. Yeah. My, my thought is that how do we, how can we achieve this? And this is just, again, just talking here. How can we achieve the bipartisan support on some of those issues that is very important? So whenever I speak with a state senator or a state congressman, or, you know, they seem to be very open to the idea as an individual basis. When we talk about, hey, this is very important. We need your support. So, you know, some of the strategies FOG has been doing to educate regardless of which party they are, being a Democrat or, or Republican, we always try to go and say, hey, you know, this is very important and try to educate them. You know, they know it. It's not like they, you know, try to educate them, give them the, uh, you know, these are the different ways you can do it. But, at, at, and, and these are the scientific basis to do it. And then also, you know, acknowledging them and saying, hey, these are the steps you did, positive steps you did last time. This is really helpful to the environment. And, and try to work with those, with those, with, the, with our state senators and congressmen to make sure something has happened. But it's a daunting challenge to get this accomplished. The perceived perception of a particular uh, group, for example, if I'm a Republican, I don't want to be seen as weak on, uh, weak on climate change. So I need to raise the rhetoric in a, such a way that uh, it's such a way to, that, that claims climate change is not a science. Um, so, you know, things like that, that happens. But it's a, it's a long, challenging path for organizations such as FOG and Florida Students Council, of course, you have the same challenge like we do here uh, from, from a water perspective, but we work on from the land perspective and agriculture perspective. So, but then the other thing is, is what I, we also found is very 
we found it very effective is we send this notification whenever there is a bill that is really going to affect our agriculture we send this notification but it's very important we feel like the listeners here of this podcast should speak up and say hey this is to speak up to your state senator your congressman to say hey this is very important to us and really do positive things that so we can leave the next generations with the, the beautiful florida landscape uh, that we enjoy today for our future generations yeah so i mean a few thoughts one thought is you know the problem we have with agricultural pollution right now is that florida has something called a best management practice program and what it does is if you are an agricultural producer and you agree to implement best management practices you're given a presumption of compliance with water quality standards so it doesn't matter how much you pollute you're found to be in compliance with whatever the applicable water quality standard is and that wouldn't be such a bad thing if best management practices worked but what we know is that best management practices are not effective in reducing pollution to our waters and how do we know this well we know it a couple ways one way is the department of environmental protection has said so um the department of environmental protection has said that best management practices are not useful in achieving water quality goals and where those practices have been studied they have been found to be ineffective and as a matter of fact they're so ineffective that even though the law requires the state to verify whether or not best management practices work only one of those practices has ever been verified to be effective and that's ridge citrus every other practice that's ever been tested has failed to show any efficacy in protecting water quality so instead of improving the practices the state has just stopped trying to verify them because they know that if they keep trying they're going to have to improve them um but it's really tough to bring the factory farms and the large landowners and ranchers to the table when the current system is so designed in their favor where by doing practices that cost them almost nothing but are also completely ineffective they're given a blanket of uh compliance with water quality standards and at some point we're either going to have to really improve the best management practices and create the funding to help farmers implement them or we're going to have to get rid of that blanket compliance with water quality standards and start doing testing at each and every farm and finding farmers that are not able to meet water quality standards. I know we would much rather improve best management practices and actually begin to imp- implement practices that work. You know, specifically we need to we need to put a cap on how much fertilizer folks are allowed to put down. If we don't do that, if we don't limit the number of um concentrated animal feeding operations in watersheds, if we don't begin to reduce the numbers of cattle in those watersheds, there's really no way to restore water quality. And you know the environment in florida has gone from being a bipartisan issue to almost a no partisan issue you know it's um obviously one party has been in control in florida for a long time which is the republican party and i think that because they're the ones in control to some extent they have to take the blame you know they also get the credit when they're when they do things that are that are good but the democratic party has not been strong on these issues either and i think the the fact that when you have an election you have you don't often have a really strong environmental candidate in the race you'll have two candidates who both give lip service to the ideas of the environment but neither one of them is really going to be willing to take on the regulated industries and absent a really strong choice for a pro environment candidate the environment kind of falls 
below where it naturally would be in voters' minds when they go into the when they go into the 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 the, the to vote. Um, so we really have to do something to you know we need we need both parties to really run on environmental protection and make it a core of their platforms. And when they get into office, we need them to to do something. You know, there's a bill moving right now through the Florida legislature that would implement recommendations of the Blue Green Algae Task Force. At the first committee stop, everything dealing with agriculture was removed from the bill. So it still deals with septic tanks. It still deals with, um, you know, some, some assessments of projects, but, you know, nothing with agriculture was allowed to, to move forward. And the resistance in the legislature to even begin the process of trying to improve agricultural practices is, is, a, is a big problem. Last year, the legislature passed the Clean Waterways Act. It's a great fanfare. Again, that bill did not do, would not reduce one pound of agricultural nutrient loading. You know, it has lots of stuff about septic tanks, wastewater treatment, urban fertilizer, uh, storm systems, but not one pound of agricultural pollution would be reduced because of that bill. And the strangle that the, you know, large, large landowners, um, the very largest landowners have over the Florida legislature is going to kill our waters and environment if we don't, if we don't break free of it. Yep, 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 yep. We have a work to do, Ryan. Uh, organizations should fog. We need to do two things. One, in which we are doing it already, one like organizations should fog or Florida Spring Council. We need to have two things we have to do. One is on one hand, we have to educate the, our, our citizens to be aware of what is going on. And, and the second one is to actively advocate for a position in the state legislature to make sure that such policies are reflective of protecting the Florida environment. Ryan, I wanted to thank you for your time today. For your time today for participating. There's a lot of good discussions on the challenges the Florida agriculture faces, challenges Florida faces from environmental, and also why environmental issues should not be a political football. And, and, and then we also talked about what we can do, like advocacies and education and other activities that we can do to educate our citizens to protect the Florida agriculture, as well as uh, the water, water systems, our, our prestigious springs, our, our aquifers, so that Florida continues to be uh, 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 continues to be a great state. So thanks, Ryan, for your time today. Thanks for having me, Ron. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for listening to today's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. As many of you already know, FOG is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization, which means we need your help to keep all of our content free to the public. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation today. We would really appreciate your support. 